Well, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from Psalm 133 and also from the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And also Paul writing to Romans, to the Romans, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, this would have been a, a special Sunday with, with an ordination and appointments taking place. It, it would have been a, a meeting of the session within a worship service. That's what, that's what would have taken place. But as things sometimes happen, life happens as you're making other plans. So, so that, that is, is being postponed until another time. And we'll let you know when that is taking place. But if you're joining us today, you're just joining us, we are in a series on, on discipleship and the church. And we're looking at what it means to follow Christ as a community of believers. And so today, I, I would like for us to consider discipleship in a time of COVID. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the title of a movie several years ago, Love in the Time of Cholera. But no, it's discipleship in a time of COVID. Sorry, no romanticisms here. You know, following Christ, that's what it means to be a disciple. Following, following Christ means you're focused on him and where he is going. At, have you ever followed someone in a car 
You, you, you're, you, they're, they're, they're going down the road, you know, and you're trying to, st- you try to keep your eyes on them. You're trying to stay focused on them and you're directing traffic because somebody comes in front of you and all of a sudden you can't say, yeah, get out the way. Don't you, don't you know I'm following? Yeah, if you lose sight of them, you quickly, you're trying to get in a position so you can see them. But see, following, following Christ, you need to see him. We need to see him. The disciple, the disciple doesn't want to be distracted. The Christian keeps his or her eyes trained on Jesus. And so along with that, what we're learning is, is that discipleship, is, it's not an individualistic pursuit, but it's a communal one. We heard that last Sunday. The disciple isn't learning self-improvement. The disciple is seeking to employ their individual gifts to improve the community. See, Christians are not people who are concerned about their own well-being to the detriment of those around them, but they are those who seek to spend themselves for the good of their neighbor. And we find that there's no way for there's no way for the follower of Christ to live his or her life in isolation, cut off from the rest of the world. No, they're, but they're grown. Christians are, are grown and, and cultivated while in the thick of things. Life, touching life is where the disciple finds their strength and, and vitality increased. Alone, the disciple quickly dies. Psalm 133, that Old Testament reading, it calls us to the wonder of these truths when he says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there, verse three says, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And Romans 12 calls us to the practice of stewarding this unity that we've been given. Have you ever thought of discipleship as the practice of stewarding the unity that God has given us in Christ? Here's another question. How does a church become a community that stewards their unity in such a way that not even death can separate them? That's why I call the sermon discipleship in a time of COVID. Uh, What things, what, what, what is able to break the unity that God has given to us? During the last few years, there's been a lot of upheaval, hasn't there? Lots of turbulence in the culture, political, partisan wrangling, racial tension and division, an untrustworthy media skewing information that's reported, a pandemic that is used to exacerbate all of these areas. Churches have moved online and some have closed not to return 
Christians are, are finding it more comfortable to shop for churches online while the one they've attended for years is finding it hard to keep up with the changes. And in these times, some have taken their, their home viewing as the equivalent of being part of the community without really connecting with people. Meanwhile, some people are deconstructing their faith. Yeah, discipleship in a time of COVID is a challenge, but we are empowered by God's spirit to, to steward the unity that God has given us in Christ through the gifts that he has given to each of us. But to do this, we must first, we must first see through the lens of God's grace, exercise humility to embrace unity, practice patience to grow integration, and love without disguise. This is all in the text. This is all here in, in Romans 12. Let's look at this. Let's see through the lens of God's grace. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, grace from God is for the Apostle Paul, the basis for him saying anything to anyone at all about following Christ. So Paul is a man who is thoroughly transformed by grace. And he seeks us to know, he seeks for us to know that transformation that grace has offered. See, following Christ begins with receiving the gift of God's grace. And the depth, of the, trans the depth of the transformation is related to your understanding of the size of your debt and the cost of covering it. See, Paul, he understood the size of the debt that grace has covered and the cost of that covering. Paul never forgot the size of his debt. Even at the, toward the end, at the end of his life, he writes to Timothy, he says, I thank him who has given me strength Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. See, Paul never forgot the size of his debt. He also never forgot the size of the provision for his debt. Because look at what he says in, in Galatians. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so you can't forget the size of the debt that you owed, and you nor can you forget the cost of the provision for that debt. 
So you can imagine. So, uh, so the, the, the woman at, at Simon's house when Jesus encounters, you know, she comes in, she doesn't care who's looking. She doesn't care who's watching. She doesn't care that it's Simon the Pharisee, his home, don't care, doesn't care about his position in, 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 in the synagogue. That None of that's important to her. All she knows is Jesus had forgiven her and she had to get to him and wipe his feet with, the, with her tears and, and, and her hair. And Simon did none of that. And what was the difference? Jesus said, she loved much because she's been forgiven much. It's like you, Simon, you don't know that you've been forgiven. Hey, see, you, yeah, it depends on, on your understanding of the size of the debt and the covering that Christ has provided the, the depth of transformation of grace in your life, when you recognize that, that, that changes you. Paul never forgot it. So here's the question. Are you looking through the lens of God's grace? Consider the size of your debt, your sin. Consider the, sin, the size of the provision for your debt. The life of Christ that he gave willingly. Because that, that is how grace transforms you. Because that, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? To consider that. It's a humbling thing. And so so it's, it, it becomes that humility. Exercising that humility that ensures unity. Look at verse 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You see, while, while the word humility doesn't appear in these verses, the idea of it, it's, it's all over. You know, when he says that we are individually members of one another, you know, what's lurking underneath that statement is, is humility. Because it says that we, are, we aren't, it's telling us that we're not independent beings, but we are dependent. That's humbling. That's humbling. Now, humility, humility in Paul's day and, and still today, humility is countercultural. You don't have to shout me down with any amens. <laughs> you see, in first century Rome, humility was not a virtue. It was something for those who were on the lower rung of the social ladder. They were, they, it was, humility was for the plebes. And looking at verse 3 and 4 together, as Paul is writing here, you're looking at that, you get the idea that humility is needed to pursue unity. So keep that in mind. Pride, pride is the enemy of unity. Humility ensures unity. Think of Joseph's story in Genesis 45, because here's a good example of this principle. Because when Joseph was young, you remember, he remember his dream, he bragged about his dream, how he was going to rule over his father and, and his brothers, and he told him you know, that he had seen this dream, and his stalk had risen above theirs, and theirs bowed down to his. Well, you know what happened. His brothers sold him into slavery. A response that was a bit over the top, some might say. But it knocked the pride out of Joseph. But later, when, he's a, when he is the prime minister of Egypt, his brothers come and they, they do bow before him. 
And he tried, he tried hard, he tried hard to, to, to hold back his emotions and he tried hard to, to be, to, to, to give them a tough time. He did that a few times, but eventually he gave in and, and, and he said, I got to tell them. It's me, it's me, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And listen to what Joseph said about the whole matter. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You see, his pride had been the enemy of their unity, but now his humility ensured their unity. God sent me, he says, to preserve life. You see, the gospel calls for a humble view of yourself while it exalts others. You know, Martin Luther, during the Black Plague, he taught, he taught this type of humility in a letter that he had written. Uh, to, to, he, had, he had to answer some questions, because, and he had put it off. He had put off writing this letter, but he, he wrote it. And, and, and you can find it in just a, 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 a Google search or whatever. You can find, you can find what, what Martin Luther had to say. But Martin Luther, as, he, as he's writing this letter, he's reminding the people that you don't have a right you don't have a right to withhold your love from. If you're a Christian, you don't have the right to withhold your love from anyone. And so he wrote, he wrote this. He said, you ought to think this way. Very well. By God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly awful. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. You see, Martin Luther, along with his wife, they stayed, they stayed there in the village, and, and, and she was pregnant at the time. They stayed. Other people left, but they stayed. And, and don't you know that, that these humble, exalting others' acts of, of Christians helped many survive the plague? See, and it's that kind, it's that kind of humility ensuring unity that marks us as disciples in a time of COVID. Humility says we need each other. We need, we need each other. Whatever your ethnicity, whatever your gift, whatever your, your supposed position is in life, we need each other. We belong to each other, the text tells us. But since we, we are so practiced at living independently, then integration will take some time. Therefore, practice patience to grow integration. Look at verses six through eight. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, these verses are describing the unity and the diversity of, of the church. So, yeah, so, so he's talking about gifts, but he's not talking about them absent from the people who possess the gifts. All right. See, Paul is saying, be intentional about the integration of, of the diversity of your members. You see, the church in Rome had a problem between Jew and Gentile. And the problem was one that had a history behind it, too. Because in AD 49, Claudius, he threw the Jews out of Rome. And, and that young congregation, it was largely Jewish. And, 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 and he expelled these Jews. But the church, they were the leaders. There were Jew, Jewish believers who were the leaders. Eight to ten years later, when Paul is writing this letter, because you know, Paul didn't plant that church, he didn't start the church in Rome, somebody else did. But eight to ten years later, he's writing this letter, more Gentiles have come to faith in Christ, and they've taken over the leadership of the church. And some of them, some of the Jews, are now coming back. And there were ethnic issues that began to come up. And Paul addresses them in this letter. That's why he starts out in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. It's why he would write in chapter 3 that all need the same justification that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. For there is no difference, he says, between Jew and Gentile. All who have faith, he would write, all who have faith in, in, in our children of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile. And he gets to chapter 14, all of the Lord's servants, regardless of, of how you view a day or whether or not you're a vegetarian or, or you like to eat ribs. <laughs> so that does, so that, no, no, he commands them, he commands them to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's Romans 15, verse 7. See, unity and diversity work because of integration. The body of Christ's beauty is not seen in merely being desegregated, but through patient, intentional, loving integration of its members. Martin Luther King Jr., he wrote this. He said, integration is creative and is therefore more profound and far-reaching than desegregation. Integration is genuine intergroup, interpersonal doing. Integration is the ultimate goal of our national community. You see, discipleship in a time of COVID is the exercise of the gifts to patiently grow integration in the community of God's people. I see, this also means that you love without disguise. Look at verses 9 through 12. Let love be genuine. 
abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. See, discipleship in a time of COVID, it leaves no room for fakery, does it? Yeah, yeah. And love, love, really, love can only be genuine, right? If it's not genuine, it's not love. And the word genuine is a word which means without disguise. Paul is saying to this, to, to, to these ethnically diverse believers, they must love each other. Real talk. He goes on to say that this love, this love, outdo one another, outdo one another in showing honor. Like what? Make it a competition in showing honor? That's not that's that that's not what we do, is it? No, it's just the opposite. We outdo one another in seeking to tear each other down. Love one another, he says, with brotherly affection. Now, in order for that to happen, you know, that, that, this, it requires proximity, doesn't it? It requires closeness. It must be deliberate. It must be deliberate. It, yes. And what the dynamic is such that, oh yeah, there's offending and there's forgiving. There's sensitivity in language and at the same time, thickness of skin. No, that takes practice. Can a church, can a church in America make a habit of loving each other across the lines of race and class? Few have. You know, I've told, I've told you my story before. I became a Christian in 1978 in, in Sumter, South Carolina, in a little church where, where white folks, black folks, Filipinos, Jews, Japanese, and, and Koreans all worship together. And when I became a Christian, I thought, you know, that this is what Christianity is. This is what it's supposed to be. This is the way it should be. The pastor of, of that church, you know, he was, he was young. He was in his 40s back then. Yeah, he was white. And he would hear from, from other preachers in the town why do you have those black people coming to your church? They didn't really care about the other folks who were coming, but it was those black people. Why do you have them coming to your church? That man loved, he loved, he loved me without disguise. He was the first, he was the first man that wept for me. I never had, I never had a man weep for me. When I left the church to go off to Bible school, he wept. That's forty some years ago, and it still it still affects me. And he's still the pastor there. <laughs> he's eighty. He's eighty some years old. He's still and he's still doing the same thing. Yeah, that's love. That's love without disguise. And that is what this is what we're called to. So, so you know, and I, I count that I count that man as my spiritual father. 
So if you don't like the way I am, blame him. <laughs> nah, love, loving, loving each other without disguise. So where does, where does all of this leave us? Discipleship, here's what I've been saying. Discipleship in the time of COVID calls for grace, it calls for humility, it calls for patience and love. And, and it leads us to unity, integration, and becoming genuine community. That's what I've been trying to say. Because, and these are things, these are things, brothers and sisters, that we see in the life of Christ. We see grace, we see humility, we see patience, we see love, we see unity, integration, and becoming genuine community. We see all of this in the life of Christ, a life that he shares with his bride, the church. So the question is, are you a disciple of Christ? Can you see him? Are you following him? Do you share his life? You know, at the start of this message, I asked, how does a church become a community that stewards their unity in such a way that not even death can separate them? Who lives like that? Who has that type? Where does, where, does, where does that community of disciples get the power to steward the unity that they've been given in that way? To outdo one another in honor? Do you recall how after 9-11, the nation had, had this unity? And you felt it too, didn't you? You felt it. Well, those of you who are old enough to remember. You remember people started attending church. Church attendance went up. People, people, people whom you didn't expect to hear singing Amazing Grace, you found out they knew the lyrics. <laughs> and the song God Bless America was revived as, as stadiums around the country. People were at baseball games, that seventh inning stretch, and they're singing God Bless America. I mean, it was revived. And you remember, you look back at that, it was a beautiful moment, wasn't it? And we know what caused it. But the question 20 years later is, what happened? What happened? Why didn't, why didn't that unity last? Now, my simple analysis would be they, they lack the power. They lack the power. We lack the power to produce the kind of unity that God desires. We lack that power. We, have, we lack the power to, to sustain it. So where does, where does the community get the power to steward this unity that we've been given? And we've been given, we've been given a much more beautiful unity, one that outlasts any unity the world has seen and it comes from the fountainhead of unity itself, the Trinity. Psalm 133, speaking of the pleasure and, and the goodness of unity, it says this, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's like, it's like oh, this, 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 all of this diverse stuff that's taking place, that's moisture that's in the air, and it comes down on this whole mountain range. And Zion, the city of God, where God dwells, it, it all comes down on the mountains of Zion. And it says, there, for there, 
The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. See, Jesus is leading us into that great community, the Trinity that has eternally existed. Jesus is leading us there. And so when you follow him, when you follow him, you begin to see the power doesn't come from, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from within you. It doesn't, it comes from, it comes from Christ. Because Jesus said this in, in John 14, 19, because I live, you will live also. You see, there's, that's the assurance. Because I live. That's the assurance that, that we have as, as stewards of this unity. That our faith is in him. Jesus is our savior. He is our champion. He is the one who has overcome. He's the one who makes us overcomers. And so, disciples, in a time of COVID, we can know, we can know, we can be assured that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We can know that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We can know that those whom he has predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he has also glorified. So we can know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can know that, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can know it. So how do we steward this unity that God has given to us so that not even death separates us? We continue to see through the lens of God's grace. Exercise humility to ensure unity. Practice patience to grow integration and love without disguise. Because COVID, COVID's not over. And since, and since COVID, COVID, it will try to, it, you know, it's like that car. It'll pull in front of you. It'll pull in front of you to block your view of Jesus. Political partisan wrangling will, will seek to distract you from seeing the king. He's the king. Not anybody else who puts their pants on the same way you do. The darkness, the darkness of prejudice and, and segregation will try to cover the light of the bright and morning star, but it will fail. And they all will one day be gone. Hallelujah. As will every evil thing. It will be done away with. And the church's one foundation, Jesus Christ, her Lord, will remain forever. Let's pray.
Lord, who are we? That we should be given such a gift of unity, that we should be drawn into this, your community. Oh, Lord, you, you know us. Oh, Lord, how we need you and how we need you this day in these times. And we ask, oh, Lord Jesus, that you would enable us by your spirit to keep our eyes on you. That you, Lord, are, are pleased and glorified to bring everything to the completion that you have willed. And Lord, may we behold the beauty and the wonder of it all and give you glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.